You're listening to Integration Redesigned, the podcast that unpacks ideas, trends, and topics that directly impact developers and tech professionals. Join us as we learn from experts who are innovating and developing emerging tech with the world's leading brands. Hello, and welcome back to Integration Redesigned. I'm your host, Kate Port, and in this episode, I am joined by Don Foods executive and a former friend and colleague, Bob Howland. Welcome, Bob. Hey, Kate. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Thanks for joining. Um, I'm excited because today we're going to be talking about leadership and change management, something that I think everyone has had to go through, whether they're doing it on their own um, or with a group or they're a part of or affected by. And I think um, change is something that is constant, as we all know. So I'm very much looking forward to talking more about that with you. Me too. So, Bob, real quick, I think uh, let's hear a little bit about you. So we worked together at a, at a, in a prior life doing e-commerce with furniture retailers, building out a platform. And now you're over at Dawn Foods. So maybe t- tell us a little bit about your background. So I, I've been doing e-commerce for about 20 years. I fell into it when I built the first transaction-enabled website in the mutual fund business, and I've never turned, never turned back. I remember one time that we were working together and we talked about Apple Pay and the concept of sort of paying with your phone. And I remember at the time, my you said, well, what do you think about this? And I said, well, I think a lot of infrastructure would need to be built in order to support something like an Apple Pay or a pay with your phone or device. Fast forward, I don't even think it's been eight years and now we're paying with our, our watches, uh, which is just, you know, Shows the power of Apple being a part of that infrastructure, but you look at all those devices and everybody takes some form of Apple Pay. So pretty interesting how, uh, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen eight, ten years ago. Yeah, the pace of change is is just incredible. And that, interestingly, I think we see it more in our personal lives than we feel in our professional lives, and especially in the, in the B2B world. And I think that's such a, a huge opportunity for companies to come in the, in the years and decades ahead. And a great way to start, which is you joined Dawn Foods. There was no e-commerce. You know, you talk about the only way that people could order was through a sales rep, which, you know, someone coming and writing down what you needed. With this heavy e-commerce background, why was it appealing to you to go into an organization that professionally or or business-wise maybe hadn't jumped into all of those new technologies and services? Yeah, I mean... Two, two very clear reasons. One, the company really wanted to do this. They were dangerous enough in terms of their ambition. They were also somewhat guided in that ambition. They had, they had been to Mountain View and seen Google's headquarter. They had gone through a, a really rigorous discovery process with KPMG and understood the extent of the lift. And so they were while they didn't have e-commerce or digital capabilities, they they knew what they wanted and they really wanted someone to come do it for them and with them. So so that level of top-down buy-in, that level of some level of knowledge, but but really really at, at the blank canvas component and, and starting point was really appealing to me. The second piece was I've done with you and with others, I've 
run, built, led e-commerce efforts for over over two dozen companies. And and I would tell you and tell anybody, um, you know, I failed two dozen times. Right? There's all of these lessons learned of what we could have done, what we did wrong, what we didn't do, and all of these, all this wisdom I really wanted to impart. And I really was excited about the ability to, for the first time in my career, really do it the way that my 24 plus lessons had taught me. And so that ability to come in and, and really have the backing of the company, really think about the future of the company and really build an e-commerce engine in a way that would be future-proofed was just really, really exciting. I think looking forward to some of that, you know, some of those learnings. But if we go back to the first thing that you mentioned, which is that blank canvas and coming in and, and maybe even being lured by the fact that, hey, you've got this blank canvas, you have this opportunity. Um, I'm sure that it wasn't as black and white as that. Maybe when you got there, right, there's a little bit of nuance. But if you had now looking at that, the, what are the two or three tips that you might give to help bring the team along with you, even if they're bought into the concept of what you're trying to do, right? So there may be this, hey, yes, we need to do e-commerce, but how do you get them from, yes, we need to do it to let's do it and we're doing it? Right. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of my time on the change management piece, right? We had this, this concept of the art of the possible. The company was really bought in, but they really didn't know what that meant. And so I spent you know, more than 50% of my time really trying to help the marketing team understand what their role was and what this was going to mean for them. The sales team, the operations team, finance, et cetera. My, my lesson learned out of that was I should spend twice as much time, right? Because the carrying people forward on this journey takes time and, and everybody comes to it on their own. And so I, I wish I had... I had dove more into the change management, and I wish I had you know walked a mile in other people's shoes even more than I did. So that that's definitely a lesson learned, especially in these more senior roles where you are the one really owning and driving driving the change. You know, the second lesson learned is, and this kind of sounds cliche, but it really does take a village. And while I built a, a startup team in Boston to be the digital innovation hub. And we built great relationships with all of the partners across the business. Those relationships in COVID, you know, really couldn't develop as organically as I would have liked, right? So we hired the first few people pre-COVID. COVID hit. We hired a dozen plus people after that, and then trying to get people aligned and really kind of speaking the same language was was difficult. And on a superficial level, we did great. But I, again, I wish we had spent a little bit more time there, maybe even used some you know, collaboration tools across different functions to, to assist in that. Um, you know, so that would kind of be my second lesson learned. And then the third lesson learned is you know, partnerships and um, engines require fuel. And in the world we live in, there are two, two types of fuel. One is you know, data on how you're performing against your targets, and the other is, you know, voice of the customer. And so I got one of those two right, but I didn't get them both right. And so voice of the customer is a program I built from the get-go. And so we, we built a program with an outside uh, survey provider, 
And we rigorously, every week, every month, every quarter, got quantitative and qualitative data from how the customers were experiencing what we were putting in front of them. To this day, that drives our roadmap, and that really takes away the conversation of you know somebody in the sales team or somebody in the marketing team says, I want this. If we don't see it in the voice of the customer, we don't do it, right? The, the piece about bringing data forward and really educating the board, really educating the C-suite, really educating all the functions, we, we spoke to ourselves. So we brought forward e-commerce data that can really only be interpreted by e-commerce experts. We really struggled to bring forward data that would speak to the head of finance, would speak to the marketing team. And it took us, it took us over a year to really understand that what we were selling, people weren't buying because they just didn't understand page views. They didn't understand browse sessions. They didn't understand, you know, checkout shoots and funnels. And so that language just wasn't resonating. We really had to turn it into business language that was appropriate for individual functions. And, and that was something that was a big lesson learned that I think it would really help everybody. So many elements of that, in my mind, triggered patterns that we see as we're all trying to run our own businesses and teams, which is many teams struggle with data. Many teams struggle with how to make decisions. Voice of customer sounds like it breaks the tie in many cases for you guys. Um, and I think it's really interesting when you look at what data you're providing, because from my personal experience in retail, a conversion was we had 100 people walk through the door and we sold to one of them right? Versus on e-commerce, it's a different measurement. It's similar, right? How many people buy versus come on your site. Um, but the are we looking at the same type of rate in store versus online? And I know it's not that extreme with Dawn Foods, but those are some of the things where we want to look at that and make sure that just the vocabulary is the same, let alone thinking about how we, if that data is relevant for a CFO or a CMO or someone else. Um, so it is interesting that even though it feels unique in the moment to whatever organization that you're working for, it's a similar problem. And so those takeaways are really helpful because they can help everyone. Um, so I think, you know, we talked a little bit about IT and e-commerce. And as we think about the direction that retail is heading, one of the things that comes up in conversation is you know, e-commerce doesn't really think about technology. Technology is, you know, on the outskirts or maybe incorporated with technology or e-commerce and technology or different teams or it's, I think that there will be a point of time where that comes together. And I think that time is coming. Um, but there's always this interesting battle where voice of customer in your example might be saying, hey, we want, you know, real transparency during the shipping process. I don't know, pick something. And so the e-commerce team says, hey, this is voice of customer or the team that's really setting the roadmap is saying, hey, here's the feedback we're getting. And then it becomes, how do we select that technology that we end up using? And so it's really interesting because those technology evaluations can be interesting conversations, I'll say. Um, when you think about the technologies that have helped or hurt your team, um, what are some of the ones that you would say this really enabled us, whether it was for your business or for the team or for how you work, or these are some of the things that we weren't ready for or uh, didn't help us the way that we expected? 
I'll give you two different lenses on that. So one is the collaboration piece. So you know, we started as a as a startup in Boston, and it's a hundred year old privately run company in Michigan, and so we really need to figure out how to work with the IT team and the other parts of the organization. And, and the tools that we found that we used as a company were, were somewhat dated. Um, we were using, I can't even remember, it's Skype? I guess it was Skype. And you know that's, that's a four-letter word in my mind. I mean, Microsoft walked away from that technology years and years ago, but we were still using it despite drop calls and everything. And so you know, being ever the efficient you know, executive, we just, we just started using Zoom on our own. We just started using um, Slack on our own and all these things. And then our IT partners started using them with us. And lo and behold, we found that we had created an us versus them dynamic in the company. And we were on different platforms and, and that wasn't what we wanted to do. And so ultimately, you know, blessing for us, you know, Microsoft Teams came along and was able to kind of conquer the world. and. We all morphed onto that platform, but you know the mistake we made was trying to be different, and and not trying to move the company to something that would be a collaboration tool for everybody, and creating you know different silos or different ways of working. So we've gotten much better that the recognition that we shouldn't try to do things differently than everybody else. We either need to convince people to come along, or we need to jump on on the way they're working until we can otherwise convince them. And and that philosophy has served us well since. On the, on the structural enterprise side, you know, we really did have a, a blank canvas. And the company is very much an SAP shop, a Microsoft shop, and a Salesforce shop. And so we were you know, encouraged to look at the e-commerce platforms of those providers plus some of the other big monoliths. And, and we came at this from a you know, lesson learned over you know, two dozen plus deployments and, and launches for e-commerce that that was exactly the opposite way we want to work. We want to be nimble, we want to have control, we want to be able to give a piece of customer feedback and quickly put something out in the marketplace that would address that. And we were also thinking about control, both total cost as well as control over performance. Said differently, if our content management system wasn't working, we wanted to get a new one. And so we launched with two dozen separate technologies and everybody on a one-year contract. And so we created this dynamic around performance. If, if what you sold us works as you said it does, we're going to be fine and we'll renew. If it doesn't, you know, it'll be a 12-month relationship. And that mindset really fueled a high-performance team in our world opened up the eyes of the IT organization to say, wow, that's a very, very different way of working than we work. And then the, the proof was in just how successful we were, right? So we launched in July of 2020, and we spent more technology hours in the back half of the year rebuilding what we had done because we now had very specific voice of customer than we would have otherwise. Right, and we continue to run a two-week sprint every month release cycle that has our customer satisfaction scores just through the roof because customers can see the site improving, the sales team can see the site improving, and had we gone with the recommended you know, monolith, we never would have done that. 
And so, you know, the performance in sales, the performance in adoption has proven out. And I think the enterprise IT organization has seen that there is a different way of working that is intriguing because of the success we've had, because of the low cost structure we've built, and because of the customer experience focus we've been able to to drive. You brought up a really interesting concept, which is that historically, you know, you know, five or 10 years ago, it was, these are the platforms that are available, you pick one, right? Maybe there were four big ones. Whereas now, executives and leaders are uh, particularly of retail companies, because that's where we see this overpopulation of tools, right? Um, they're saying, well, hold on, because I think this one works really well for this, and this one works really well for that. And to your point, they're saying, that 12-month contract isn't guaranteed for 24 or 36 months. I'm not ready to make that commitment to you. And so this is where, I mean, you talk about a market correction in terms of valuing uh, uh, software companies. The expectation was you were going to stick with the company for seven to 10 years, right, through the life cycle. The reality is that executives, just like yourself, are asking hard questions and saying, if you don't deliver... I'm not keeping you around. Doesn't make sense. So I love that because I think that that's a direction that the market is shifting in. And with my product hat on, that's where I, I love that evaluation where you're not just stuck with what you have. You can always make a change. And um, I think that's where the market is going is making these plug and play opportunities and, and how can we capitalize on it? Yeah, I mean, the reality is we can't be good at everything, right? No one can. And so to think a monolith that could be good at every aspect of the e-commerce experience is, is crazy. Um, but we're with a content management system. They had over 250 releases last year. They made my site better 250 times without me lifting a finger, right? And then you think about all the ways I built and created functionality based on voice of customer. They, they, the ex, exponential lift of that is just crazy. And having people that are as dedicated to their product as we are to ours, you know, that's where these great partnerships just keep fueling each other, which is what shows up again in the customer experience and the crazy phenomenal sales growth and adoption growth we've seen. It's, it's a phenomenal product. Only getting better. I love this conversation. I think we're going to, I'm going to have to really get back for, for another one. Um, but Bob, thank you so much for joining. I think there's a lot of really good takeaways. Um, thank you for coming on today and always, always great to talk to you. You've been listening to Integration Redesigned. To learn more about how DigiBee can help your team connect and integrate systems at scale, visit digibee.com. Thanks for listening.